now we're going to take to look into the scriptures, the word of God, and we're going to begin this morning in Romans chapter 4, right? Romans chapter 4. We read the passage in, in Matthew um, about his resurrection, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and today we're going to be looking at some things pertaining to that resurrection. And the, this morning we're going to take a look at the message entitled, The Empty Tomb and the Open Door. Alright, The Empty Tomb and the Open Door. And so Romans chapter 4, I'm just going to read one verse in chapter 4 and one verse in chapter 5, and then we'll pray and then get into the message for today. Romans 4.25, and of course who there is referring to Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And then chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's read verse 2 also. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Heavenly Father, we ask for thy blessing now and help as we go into the scriptures. We thank thee so much for the word of God and all it tells us and all the truth it reveals to us. And today we are mostly thankful for the truth about salvation, about that which Christ has secured for us by his shed blood, his death on the cross, his burial, and then also his glorious resurrection. So we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Good news. Christ is risen. He is alive. All right? Those aren't just words. That's our hope. Everything that we believe in, everything we trust in, everything we hope for, is, is based on the fact that Jesus Christ came out of that grave alive. And the empty tomb is there to prove my Savior lives, as that psalm tells us. Um, I'd like to read, here's a, there's, a, there's a hymn or a hymn book. I'm going to just read it. You can turn if you like. It's number 136. I'm going to use it kind of as a poem to introduce the message today. And maybe we'll try to learn it someday. Um, it's called Christ is Risen from the Dead. And it goes like this. Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen as he said. Never since the heavens rang with the song the angels sang on the morning of his birth had such gladness come to earth. Quickly were the tidings spread, Christ is risen from the dead. Gone the garden agony, dreadful death of Calvary, gone the hours of hopeless gloom while he lingered in the tomb. Like the waking did it seem from a terrifying dream. Now what rapturous joy instead. Christ is risen from the dead. Christian brothers, shout and sing. Death has lost its ancient sting. Christ the crucified before is, a, is alive forevermore. Grace, grave, sorry, grave, where is thy victory now? See the light upon his brow. Empty, see the stony bed. Christ is risen from the dead. Hours of glory. Heirs of glory, through his grace, tears be dried from every face. Be your hearts no longer sad. On this Easter day, be glad. Faith and hope are not in vain. You are born to live again. 
Every soul shall be comforted. Christ is risen from the dead. And uh, most of you know, but for, you, for those who don't, as you, as you leave in a little bit, you will see hanging on the wall a painting of the empty tomb. I'm happy to say that was painted by our son-in-law, Luke. And he did a great job. And so that's a constant. We leave that up all the time. All the, every, you know, 365 days a year. Uh, because we believe in the resurrection of Christ every day. You know, we just don't drag it out, bring it out of the closet, dust it off and proclaim it and then put it back. Um, he is a living, our living Savior. And his death, burial, and resurrection has already had a great impact on my life and on most of your lives here today. We've already been affected by what he did on the cross and by coming out of the grave. And if you're not sure what that's all about, what that impact is, we hope that when before you leave today, you'll understand just what it means, what Christ did there on the cross. And so we're going to start in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to give you three things, just three things you want to look at from the scriptures today, all related to our risen Savior. Number one, salvation. That's the most important thing. Romans 4.25, it says this, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Of course, who refers to Jesus Christ. He's the one who was delivered. Delivered here means handed over. All right. Now, the question is, who exactly delivered him? The people, the mob came and they arrested him and they delivered him to the Jewish leaders. Right? The Jewish leaders delivered him to Pilate. Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate. Pilate delivered him to the soldiers to be crucified. But none of those delivered him, like it says in our verse. Look at Romans 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8. Notice what it says there. Just think about it. Um, and I want us to think as you're turning to Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 that the Bible says in John 3.16, probably the most important or most familiar verse of the Bible, for God so loved the world, that is the inhabitants, the human race, that he gave, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so yes, the Bible says God gave. 1 John chapter 4 says God sent his son into the world to be, to, to, our, to be our savior. He sent him, all right? But in Romans 8, it puts it even more precisely. It says he, and of course that's referring to God, God the Father, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So let's go back to Romans 4. Uh, Romans chapter 4. So who exactly, who really, in reality, who delivered the Lord Jesus Christ? Who delivered Him over? Who delivered Him up? Who, in reality, put Him on the cross? The Father. God the Father. God, it says, He didn't spare His own Son. Think about that. In light of, for God so loved the world. And let's bring it down. We're, you know, we're here this morning. I might be, I'm probably being heard by a few people on their phone. But for us here today, God so loved us. God so loved you. God so loved me. 
that he gave. Now, he gave him to be born of the Virgin Mary, laid, laid in a manger, all those things. He gave him to be on the earth, to be baptized, to do everything, to be tempted by the devil, to do miracles, to preach the word of God. All those things God gave him to do. The Bible makes that clear in several places. It was God who set up all those things. But then ultimately, it was God who put Christ delivered him to be crucified, to die there. Notice it says, for our offenses. It was for our offenses, our sins. In fact, the word offenses there is a word that is translated that means trespasses, transgressions, sins against God. So really, offenses covers every aspect of sin. Right? The Bible talks about Sins. It talks about iniquities. It talks about trespasses. It uses those words in the scripture. And God gave Jesus for every one of them. For every sin that's ever been committed, that's being committed today or will be committed in the future. And yes, Romans talks about the sins of the past. The people who lived and died before Jesus was even born, his death was for them too. Now they had to do the Old Testament sacrificial system to have their sins covered and then their sins were taken away according to Romans 3.25 when Jesus died on the cross. But it was for our, for our offenses. In that great passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul defines the gospel, he said, I received that which I delivered unto you, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that is, as prophesied in the Old Testament, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, we're in the book of Romans, and so I want to take you on a little journey today. And many of you, if I say the Romans road, a lot of you know what I mean by that. There's even, there's been several tracks, but I, but I remember one track in particular, its title it was, The Romans Road to Heaven. So you can take somebody all the way through the gospel, probably better than any other New Testament book, you can go right to the book of Romans and explain everything a person needs to know in order to be saved. And so it starts, really, there's, I'm going to just kind of condense a little bit this morning, but Romans 3.23, I was going to see how many of you could, could leave your Bibles closed and know and still know all these verses. You ought to know them if you've been saved for any amount of time, Romans 3.23, if you know it, say it with me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All have sinned. Have I sinned? Yes. And I do that. I mean, I, I tell people that because, you know, I want to make people understand. So when I get a chance to talk to somebody, you know, I will say, you know, I'm a sinner. And I'll say, but you're a pastor. How can you be a sinner? Everybody's a sinner. Everybody. Um, and they've come short. They've fallen short of the glory of God. Now, a lot of times we talk about the standard God has set, but it's really more than that. For the Bible says that we were created to, to glorify God and to bring glory, to live to His glory. And notice it doesn't, it says we have all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of the very thing 
that God created us to do, and that's to bring glory to his name. And then, of course, we've broken all of God's laws, all of his commandments. And you might, you know, and I could, I, if you want to know more about that, um, if you're not sure about that, if you want to debate me on that, I won't argue with you. I'll just show you what the Bible says. And if you're an honest person, you'll admit, yes, I've sinned. All right? Go back and go back to the Ten Commandments. It says, the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. Um, if you've ever been disobedient to your parents, you sin because the Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. If you've ever taken the Lord's name in vain, if you've ever used a cuss word, you sin because the Bible says, "Take not, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. By the way, we've all broken the number one command. The greatest of all, Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. Now, the book of Deuteronomy says, what does it mean to obey? Well, in God's sight, obedience means you, you obey 100% of his commandments 100% of the time. In other words, the Bible leaves no, nothing but perfection. So if we're going to please God, if we're going to get to heaven, if we're going to be saved by keeping the, keeping the Ten Commandments, we're not allowed one mistake. We're not allowed one failure. So we're all... We're all in the same boat, right? I'm there, you're there, everybody's there. Because we've all, we've all broken them. I have never, ever in my life loved God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. Mind and strength. Neither have you. We can't. It's impossible. By the way, that's why God gave the law. To show us that we can't keep it, right? It says also um, in the book of Romans, it says by the law, look at, we're in chapter 3, look at verse 20. There's a lot of people, I've talked to some, who say, well, I think I'm going to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, by doing the best I can. If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, God will let me in. Well, we have to, ju- we have to judge everything with what the Scripture says. What does it say? Romans 3.20 Therefore, by the deeds of the law, that is, by keeping the Ten Commandments, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, and obviously, if that was the end of the story, it'd be a bad story. It'd be bad news, totally. You know, the, bad, the news gets a little bit worse before it gets better. Romans 6.23, right? If you know, say it with me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That, the word wage there has in, in the positive sense, it means payment. Like if you have a job, you get wages. That's, that's a good thing. But the word wages also means penalty. It's got another side to it. And so we could say, for the penalty of sin is death. The first human beings, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. They brought sin and death into the world. And by the way, it was spiritual death because Adam lived 900 some years, probably after they disobeyed God. So it wasn't physical death. Physical death wasn't the immediate penalty. Spiritual death was. Then came physical death, and then comes eternal death, eternal separation from God. So that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a horrible picture, but that's how we, that's how God looks at us. That's how we are, are in the sight of God. So, but it says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So eternal life, and that of course means eternal life in heaven forever and ever, is a gift. It's the gift of God. 
right? You cannot earn that, right? Now, now it says in the Bible here, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it involves Him. Well, how does it involve Him? Romans 5.8. Let's look there. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God, and again there's that where God intervenes, right? God commendeth. That word, that God commendeth. Yeah, go ahead and say it. God, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now the word that's translated commendeth here, it really has the main idea of recommend. So God is recommending his son. He is recommending his love. It's also that he demonstrated his love in Christ. How did he do that? It says, Christ, well, we were yet sinners, the human race, everybody. Christ died for us. Right? Now, what is the, the significance of that is Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Here it says Christ died for us. That means he took that death. And yes, that was the death, death on the cross. The little, the little word for, F-O-R, for us means in our place and for our benefit. Right? So he died for us in that he took our place. I was at the nursing home on Friday. I, got, I get to go back there again. Praise the Lord for that. And so I was going over some of these scriptures and talking about, it was, it was on Friday, so we kind of had a good Friday service. And I'm talking about these scriptures about Christ dying on the cross. And, and one, of the, one of the fellows raised his hand and he said, Pastor, um, there's somebody, there's a murderer that's mentioned in the Bible. He said, I can't think of his name. And I said, you're talking about Barabbas, right? He said, yeah, that's the one. Uh, Jesus took his place. I said, he sure did. That, that is a, that's a great object lesson physically of what Jesus Christ did for all of us spiritually. Because Barabbas was condemned to die. He was an insurrectionist. He was a rebel. And he was a murderer. And he was condemned. So it should have been Barabbas on that middle cross. Everybody knows there were three crosses. And Jesus ended up on the middle cross. That was the cross that was intended for Barabbas. But they let him go. People said, release unto us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. So literally, Jesus took Barabbas' place. And then there's two others. What a wonderful, wonderful picture of mankind. Because one of the thieves on the cross ridiculed and railed and mocked Jesus. The other one, after he rebuked his fellow thief, said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, today thou shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so he took there, he took the place. So, so those crosses, in reality, those two crosses on either side of Jesus, they, they represent you and me and the whole human race. Right? And I have a little tract here in my pocket. I think I still have some. And I love to give these out, especially this time of year, but any time of year, and it's called the three crosses. And it explains about the three crosses. One, the cross in the middle was the cross of redemption. I was, I'm going to say the one on the left was the cross of rejection. He's the one, all right? That He's the one that railed on the Lord. And the cross on the right, that's the cross of repentance. And Jesus said, today shalt thou be in the paradise because the, the, the thief on the right cross said, 
We indeed, we indeed justly, we're getting the due reward of our deeds. Now, as the one thief said to the other one, don't you fear God? Because we're in the same condemnation. And I would say to you today, do you, do you not fear God, knowing that the wages of sin is death? And yet, he said, we indeed justly, we're getting what we deserve, but talking to, about Jesus, he said, this man, the one in the middle, as hath done nothing amiss. And so he recognized that. He repented of his sin. That's what repentance is. Repentance is acknowledging that I have sinned and I deserve the judgment of God. And then he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me. That's a, that's a cry of mercy. Remember me when thou comest to the kingdom. And Jesus said, in, in essence, I'll do, so, I'll do better than that. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So, so he was delivered for our offenses, for the things that we did, okay? Romans chapter 10. What, so, the pro, here's, the, here's the progression. All right, yes, I know I've sinned, and I know that my sin brings death, and I deserve that. And then, yes, Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. All right, what's next? Romans 10. And verse 9, it says this, that if thou, which is you, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, in other words, confess that he's who he said he was, and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So salvation is through believing in the heart that God, in other words, to say that God raised him from the dead, obviously that's, that's acknowledging that he died, because somebody doesn't raise from the dead unless they're dead. And um, confess with thy mouth. Confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thou shalt be saved. And in verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a simple promise, a declaration from the Word of God. Now, to call upon the name of the Lord, that phrase is literally means to, to call upon for aid, to enlist the help of someone. If somebody is drowning in a lake or a pond and they see someone in the shore, help me, help me! That's the idea of calling on the name of the Lord. We, under, we need to understand our desperate condition. We're like the guy drowning in the lake. We're not drowning physically. We're drowning spiritually in our sin, right? And so we need to call out to Christ to save us, right? Nothing else does that. You know, of all the things that we can do, going to church, coming here today, we're so thankful for everybody that's here today. But listen, young people, old people, realize this: this coming in, this coming inside this building will not get you one step closer to heaven. You can't get to heaven by coming to church. You can't get to heaven by being baptized. You can't get to heaven by taking communion. You can't take. You can't get to heaven by anything. You can't put enough money in the offering plate to get to heaven. You can't do enough good deeds to get you to heaven. Why? Do you know why that is? I mean, because if we could, if we could make it our, on our own, Jesus Christ would not have died on the cross. Right? Now the Bible says in Romans, talks about the, take, making the grace of God be in vain. In fact, Paul, Paul wrote, if righteousness come through the law, then Christ is dead in vain. His death was for nothing. Right? And so God knows that we can't do it. In fact, in Romans 5, there's a verse that says, we, we were without strength. 
And without strength, as means just what it says, it's, it's, it's the idea of helpless. We can do nothing to save ourselves. Jesus Christ died and was buried and he rose again. Trusting in him is what gives a person salvation and eternal life. All right? Now, back to Romans 4 again. The last part of verse 25 says that he was who was delivered for offenses, offenses, and was raised again for our justification. Justification. Justification, the word is the act of pronouncing one righteous, signifying the establishment of a person as just by acquittal of guilt. That's what the word means, justification. It is when one is declared righteous and free from guilt. So who does that? God does it. It's, it's a work of God, a declaration by God. Now in the days of the writing of the New Testament, the Roman Empire was in, was in, in place, in power, and these justification was a legal term in the Roman Empire. This word translated justification. Today, if someone goes to trial, they are pronounced either guilty or not guilty. You've all, maybe some of you have been in the courtroom, hopefully not as the defendant, but maybe you've been there as a spectator, and the verdict comes back, how do you find the defendant? And they will say, guilty or not guilty. There's other things too, but basically it's guilty or not guilty. In a Roman court, which they had juries and judges, they had lawyers, they had the same type of thing, the verdict would come back justified or condemned. So the word acquittal that we use today is the Bible word justified. In other words, not guilty. Not guilty. Now we are guilty, right? We're guilty of sin, but through what Christ did on the cross... God declares. And the Bible says in Romans 4 that Christ's righteousness is imputed or credited to us. And so we are declared justified. So raised again for our justification. That is to confirm what God had accomplished through Christ's shed blood and death on the cross. Right? And so it's the idea the act has already been done. The justification has been declared the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirmed that and brought it, in, brought it to pass, put it into action, so to speak. All right, next verse, Romans 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. In other words, that, that forgiveness, that acquittal, that removing of guilt comes when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we believe in Him. And one of the ways we do that, of course, is when we call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again because a dead Savior, if He's not risen, He can't save anybody. And I receive Him as my Savior. And I want Him to forgive my sins and give me eternal life. That's the idea of faith. That's what faith is. Calling upon God for salvation. Okay? Now I want to take a look at one more verse, and then we're going to move on. And our next two things are going to be a lot, a lot quicker. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 <clears throat> might be, I mean, obviously, it's obviously one of the greatest verses. I know John 3.16 is probably the most familiar verse, and we love that verse. Not In, in, no, in no way are we diminishing that one. But I don't know if there's a more precious verse anywhere in the Bible than 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because there's been a great exchange made. 
If you if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has made a tremendous exchange in your life. All right, here it is, verse twenty one, Second Corinthians five twenty one. For He, that's God, He hath made Him to be sin for us, and Him there's Jesus. So God the Father made Jesus not to sin, but to be sin. Now, we talked about the Old Testament sacrifice very quickly. In the Old Testament sacrifice, the priest or the person bringing the offering, they would confess their sins. And oftentimes the priest would take the sin and he would confess that sin and lay his hands on the animal and signifying that he was transferring the sins from the individual to the, to the animal. Then the blood would be shed and sprinkled on the altar as a covering for our sin. And so Jesus, God the Father took all of our sins and put them on Jesus Christ and charged Him. He made Him to be sin for us. So God treated His Son as if He had committed all those sins. You know, He didn't. He, he was our substitute. He was the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. So that's what He did to Christ. He made Him to be sin. Him who knew no sin, Jesus never sinned. He was spotless, sinless, holy, absolutely righteous. So that's what He did. He put our sins on Jesus. And then what did He do for us? What about those who believe? It says that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So He who was righteous was made unrighteous so that we who are unrighteous might be made righteous. Who, who got the better part of that bargain? We, I, we did. We did, right? We came out. We came out great. Jesus Christ paid the whole price. And for us, it's free. It's for the asking and for the receiving. 1 Peter 3.18 puts it this way. For Christ also hath one suffered for sins, the just. That means the righteous. For the unjust, the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death of the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. All right, let's move on. Um, Rome, no, the second point is sanctification. Again, we're going to take just a couple minutes of that. But in Romans chapter 6, so understand, we're talking about our risen Savior. This is Resurrection Sunday. We're talking about Him coming out of the grave. And so that was for us. That was so we could be saved, so we could be forgiven of our sin, so we could be made children of God, so we could go to heaven when we die or when Jesus comes back to earth. But there's more to it than that. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. This is what it says. Um, and we don't have, I don't have time to explain. Uh, this is talking about something that happens. It says, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism. That's talking about spiritual baptism when a person is saved. Water baptism pictures that, but it's not that. But it says this, We're buried with Him by baptism into death. So as we identify with Jesus Christ in His death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's why the world, the society, thinks true Christians are weird and we're crazy and we're rather just we're just we're just different. Why? Because that's what God intends for us. He says when we're saved, He says we are to walk in newness of life. And it means a different life, a new life, a new life. And I want you to write this down. If you'll um, in Ephesians chapter four, 
in, in verses like 22 to 32, it gives us some examples of what sanctification. By the way, sanctification is the separation of the believer unto God. It's something God does. When a person is saved, we're sanctified at that moment. We're set apart from God. But then there's an aspect of sanctification where God is working in us to make us more like Christ. That's what sanctification is. The word sanctification is from the same root word where we get the word holiness in the New Testament. So sanctification is the work of God making us more holy, making us more like Christ. And so there's many examples of that. In Ephesians, it says, if you, if you used to lie, tell the truth. If you used to steal, don't steal anymore, but work for what you have. If you used to have a foul mouth, speak righteously. Um, if you used to be angry, be forgiving. So there's all kinds of things um, you know, that the Bible says sanctification shows itself by the way that we live our lives. And as we grow as Christians, the Bible wants us to become more and more sanctified, more holy, more like Christ. I think you get the idea. And if we do that in our society, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb and we're going to be mocked. And I, I see on the news and stuff where they're, they're mocking believers, they're mocking people who want to live for the Lord. But that's okay. They mocked my Savior when He hung on the cross. And if He wasn't ashamed to be mocked for my sake, then heaven help me not to be ashamed to be mocked for His sake. All right? Um, that's all for that one. All right, let's take, let's take the last thing. Let's go back to the book of John. So there is salvation. Christ died and was buried. He shed his blood. He rose, he, he rose from the grave in order that we would be saved. He did all that in order that we would be sanctified. And then we're going to take a look at John chapter 20. The third thing is surrender. He died and was buried and rose again in order that we might surrender our lives to Him. Now, I want to look at the example of one of Jesus' disciples, and that's Thomas. John chapter 20, the story is, and you're probably mostly familiar with the whole thing, after Jesus rose from the grave, He began to appear to people. According to John 20, it was Mary Magdalene first, and then some of the disciples. And so... Um, but verse, we're going to pick it up in verse 24. Okay, here we go. But Thomas, one of the twelve, in other words, one of the twelve original disciples, called Didymus, Didymus means twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So they didn't see him. He didn't see him the first time after he rose. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Right. Now, we, we, everybody, everybody wants to get all over Thomas. He's called Doubting Thomas and all these things. But I'm going to tell you something. It was necessary for Thomas to see the risen Christ because Jesus said, you will be eyewitnesses of these things. And one of the requirements of an apostle was they had to see Christ after he rose from the grave. Thomas hadn't done that yet. Now, so, um, verse 26, after eight, and after eight days again, in other words, after a week went by, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, 
and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Now what was that? That was where the spear had gone in. And so it had certainly left a huge gaping wound there, visible even after Jesus rose from the grave. And he said, uh, thrust my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. All right? So Lord, that's us. That's everybody from that day on who trusted in Christ, having never seen him with the physical eye. And so Thomas did. Now, Thomas, I, I want to just read a little something here about Thomas. Okay, Thomas had a ministry. He did missionary work. In fact, he was, you know, Jesus had told those, those disciples to go, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and Thomas was one of those. In fact, he went as far as India back in those days, and, and it was it's recorded in church history. Uh, I have a neat little paper here. It's what happened to the 12 disciples, and it tells about what they did after Jesus went back to heaven. Well, Thomas went as far as India, and then he came back to Israel, and he was put to death. History says that he was killed by a lance. You know, a spear. He was lanced to death. And he died a martyr's death for the Lord. So what, do I, what am I saying? This was Thomas surrendered to Jesus Christ. And we never hear of him being a doubter again. We only, you know, we don't read much about him. We don't read a lot about most of the disciples. But thankfully there's enough records kept that we know a little bit about their lives. And Thomas was a very faithful missionary for the Lord. And so, all right, one more scripture, Mark 16, all right? Mark chapter 16, the last couple verses. Um, <clears throat> Mark chapter 16, this is the passage where after Jesus rose from the dead, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Told them about that. Told them that's what they're supposed to do. All right, so Mark 16, the last two verses. says this, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, that is the eleven, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. By the way, that corresponds with, with Matthew 28, the last couple of verses, where he said, Go ye therefore to all nations, Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the world. Amen. So that was that, that, that was that meeting that took place on the Mount of Olives. And after Jesus, Luke says he blessed them, and they saw him depart. Acts says the same thing. So then, verse 19, after the Lord had spoken of them, he was received up in heaven, sat in the right hand of God, and they went forth. Now between verses 19 and 20 was Acts 2 the day of Pentecost, when this Holy Spirit came upon them and they started the work. So that's between 19 and 20 here. So they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So they went out and did it. Thomas is one of those. He went out and preached everywhere. And so the gospel was spread. So, questions after this. Where do you stand? with the Lord Jesus Christ today. The Bible says every one of us one day, every one of us as individuals will stand before the Lord. And we will give an account to Him because He's our Creator, He's our God, our Lord, and so He has every right. We are accountable to Him. 
and we're going to all give account. So, question number two, are you saved? Are you saved? I didn't ask if you're, are you religious? Because I think everybody must, they're here, so you must be religious, right? To some extent. But are you saved? Have you trusted? Is there, can you remember a time when you called upon the Lord? I'm not talking about June the 19th, you know, 1966 at 11.05 a.m. I'm not talking about that. If you knew that, that's great. But if, do you remember at, at talking, praying to God, admitting that you're a sinner, Believing that Jesus died for you and asking Him to be your Savior and be willing to turn your life over to Him. If you've done that, then you can say on the authority of God's Word, you are saved. I, I can say, I am saved. Not because of what I did, but because of what He did. Right. So, another question. Are you being sanctified? In other words, are you allowing the Lord to work in your life to make you what He wants you to be, to make you more like Christ. That's a, that's a valid question. Christ rose from the grave to give that power. In fact, Paul, and we might take a couple more Sundays, however the Lord leads, because there's a wonderful passage in Philippians we shouldn't skip over, and that's where Paul said, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And he's talking there about the power to live, the power to be sanctified, all right? So that's a good question. The last question are you surrendered? Have you surrendered your all to the Lord Jesus Christ? Those are all very important questions. And if you, if you have to honestly answer no to any of those questions, are you saved? Are you being sanctified? Are you, have you surrendered? If you have to honestly answer no to any of those questions, then there's things that need, you need to get right in your life with God. And that's what we're here for. That we we love we want to be this church. Uh, I want it to be a spiritual hospital where people who have spiritual needs can come, who are spiritually sick can come and get fixed. All right, come and get healed. That's what we're here for. So this is not this. I never um, never want ever Sunday morning or Sunday night or anything ever just to be a church service. No, this is a meeting, a meeting with God, and He's He's here today. You know, He's everywhere, of course, but He's here. And He's with us. And the Bible says that wherever wherever two or three are gathered together in Christ's name, He's there in the midst. And so we can't see Him, obviously, but He's here. The Holy Spirit is here. And so if you have a need today, if God has spoken your heart, you're in the right place because we can help. We can show you Scripture. We can pray with you, help you with decisions that you need to make. So we do that today. Think about it. Seriously, this today. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time we could be here and sing these great hymns of resurrection of what Christ has done for us and look into these precious scriptures. Father, it is a thrill, it is an absolute privilege to be able to stand here and open the Word of God. Oh, never take it for granted. Thank you for it. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the Word of God and apply it to hearts as necessary today and we'll thank Thee for anything and everything that's accomplished. For we pray... In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, let's take our hymn books. There's a beautiful hymn we're going to sing. It's number 242. It's, it's titled, Jesus, I Come. Jesus, I Come to Thee. All right, it's not coming to this preacher that will ultimately help, but it's coming to Christ. And, and this preacher and others who are here in the congregation today are able to help you, right? help you if, if you have a need of the Lord, alright? So, let's take our handbooks and please turn.
the number 242. 242. Jesus, I come and the invitation is open. If you need help today, we encourage you to come as you sing. Don't be, don't be embarrassed, don't be afraid. Or you can see afterwards. But folks, this is, this is so very, very important. In the book of Luke, the rich man who died and went to hell, Abraham said to him, Remember, and I believe in my heart that if you end up not trusting Christ as Savior and go off into eternity without God, when you stand before God, I believe that He will bring this day to your remembrance the opportunities that you have. And so please don't, don't leave today without making sure, all right? So let's sing this hymn, 242, Jesus I Come. We're going to sing all four verses, beautiful verses. Please pay attention to the words, and if you need help today, please let us know, all right? Jesus I Come.
we're going to close in prayer in just a moment, but again, please let me just remind you if we can help anybody today, we would love to do that. Um, this could be the greatest Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, if you prefer, you've ever had in life. All right? This is reality. This is what God has, is offering to us. So if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, we encourage you, urge you. Or if you're here as a believer, and you need to, there's just some things you need to come back, you need to do some things in your life, um, we encourage you to do that as well. All right? Father in heaven, thanks so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, for Ruthie's beautiful accompaniment today, for the singing of these great hymns, and for the scriptures, for the word of God. We're thankful, to Father, that you have loved us so much that you gave Jesus Christ to be our Savior and gave us the written Word of God to teach us about you and about Him. Father, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would take the Word of God. And I know, Lord, Jesus spoke of the danger of the wicked wicked one coming and catching away the Word out of people's hearts. I just pray that if God don't allow Him to do that today, please don't let anybody leave or go through this day and forget what they've just heard. Father, I pray for all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.